Here is the price of freedom. Your every drop of courage, ounce of pain, pint of blood, paid in advance. Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm Ryan Mazzocco. Each week we take an episode of Andromeda and we examine it to see what we like and what we dislike about it. This week... Oh. Uh, sorry, man. Uh, it's my cousin. I, I, right. I, I gotta take this. All right. Hey, bro. Yeah. What? You want me to get naked and start the revolution? I told you, dude, I will never go back there again. No. No. No, I, I told you no. Okay. Yeah. I Look, I got a thing. I, I got to go. All right. Yeah, bye. Sorry, man. I, he, <laughs> what was that all about? Uh, my cousin, he's just been watching Orange County again. Oh, good flick. Yeah. Can we move on with the show? Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, where were we? I think, uh, did you have some uh, fun facts and trivia for us? I sure do. Okay. Yeah, and this week we're doing the episode Bunker Hill. So uh, as far as uh, factoids and fun facts that we have for this episode, uh, the thing I wanted to start out with is the writers for the show are the duo Matt Keen and Joe Reinkmeyer. And then we have uh, several uh, guest actors that we wanted to, to make mention of here. We have Mark Hildreth, and he, play, he plays Brennan Leahy. Harper's cousin in this particular episode. Now, he came up as a child actor in the late 80s and into the 90s and uh, went on to do series like Stargate Infinity as R.J. Harrison as a recurring role. And he was also in the uh, series V. You remember that? Mm-hmm. The run, uh, the, the later run mm-hmm. on NBC. Uh, he played Joshua in that series. And then a whole host of voice acting credits. Um, from basically the late 80s right up until now. A lot of Dragon Ball Z. So we've had some previous actors mm-hmm. that have guessed, uh, been guest stars on Andromeda. They had they were in Dragon Ball Z as well, so there may be a connection there somehow. We have the return of Kimberly Huey, and she plays Elsbeth Mazadine Bolivar, so it was good to see her come back uh, for this uh, second appearance. And I believe this is the last of the credits that we have uh, of her playing Elsbeth, so uh, good to see her in this episode. So she must die in this episode. It, Spoiler alert. Oh, man. sorry. Come on. Uh, no. And then lastly, we had uh, Kevin McNulty, and he plays Kudamok, the name coming from the Aztec ruler of the 16th century. And he's a proficient actor since the mid-80s in a variety of television roles. Among his credits, we have X-Files, Millennium, Stargate Atlantis, and most recently, he has been appearing in the Supernatural series. Uh, he's also been in a number of movies, and to his credit, uh, we have uh, movies like The Fantastic Four from 2005, and also uh, Fantastic Four Silver Surfer, the uh, the sequel to that movie. And then, uh, I just had to bring it up, because it's just an unusual title and an unusual movie, Snakes on a Plane. He, he was on the plane. Really? <laughs> yes. There is nothing more scary than Snakes, <laughs> snakes on a Plane. Snakes on a Plane. That's right. Uh, but we can also uh, chalk another line on the uh, the commission tally board mm-hmm. because yes, Kevin McNulty had two appearances uh, in in separate seasons on the commission, so we have that to his credit as well. All right, are you still keeping the tally? Uh, I will go back, and, mm-hmm. and we'll, we were at eighteen at the end of the of first season, I do believe. Okay, and the, we've had very few tallies uh, for the second season. Hmm. As far as the commission goes, okay, but uh, yeah, it shouldn't be hard to go back through and, and add to the add to the tally. No, I'm eighteen, not eighteen, twenty three, hmm. twenty three, including uh, Brent State. Okay, well, I'm glad you corrected that because man, the emails would have just been awful. Yeah, yeah, I know people are actually mm-hmm. they know about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a thing. It's got to be a thing somewhere. I think it's a drinking game in some places. <laughs> every, every every podcast where we mention the commish, uh-huh. drink a bottle. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't. That's that's not on us. Okay, and then the, the the last thing I wanted to bring up, of course, the episode title is Bunker Hill, and being the history nuts, and not so much military, but I, there is a, a little bit of a tacit interest in military history uh, on my part. 
uh, I wanted to bring up what Bunker Hill was exactly because, you know, not all of our listeners grew up in the American school system learning about the American Revolution. Uh, the result of the Battle of Bunker Hill during the American Revolutionary War uh, took place just outside of Boston in 1775, and it was considered a victory for the British. However, because of the massive losses that they suffered, it was uh, a discouraging uh, outcome for them. 226 men were killed, over 800 wounded, including a large number of officers. And so while it was initially billed as a colonial defeat, the losses that were suffered by the British troops gave encouragement to the colonies. And so uh, it demonstrated that even the inexperience of the militiamen, uh, they still had enough there that they could stand up to a regular army uh, in pitched battle. And so that was the outcome of Bunker Hill, loss for the Americans, but uh, a victory as well. And that's kind of a theme that we're going to see recurring in this episode, as we'll get to talk about a little bit later. So that was a little bit of my research into Bunker Hill. Um, some recurring themes that we're going to see mm -hmm. um, in this episode, not just the fact that it takes place around Boston also. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, uh, we'll get to that later. Ryan, mm -hmm. you have the summary this week. Why don't you give I us, do. Yeah, give us the summary of All right. Bunker Hill. Andromeda is right in the middle of a dogfight. She's making quick work of them until a Sabra Jaguar ship hails them. On screen, ready for the big reveal, it's Elsbit. This whole thing is an overly elaborate invitation to join the Sabra Jaguar in war against the Drago Katzoff. After coming aboard, she explains that their intel has brought information that the Drago Katzoff are refitting hundreds of their decommissioned ships to double their fleet to attack the Jaguar homeworld. Theirs won't be ready for months, and they require Captain Hunt and the Andromeda's assistance. And as per the terms of the Mutual Defense Pact, as signees of the Commonwealth Charter, she won't take no for an answer. On command deck, Rami is getting messages that the Drago Katzoff have already started attacking the systems on the borders of the Jaguar frontier. The war has already started. Meanwhile, Harper receives a message from his cousin Brendan back on Earth. He's heard stories about his adventures on the Andromeda and the New Commonwealth, and wants help driving the Nietzscheans off of Earth. Dylan says Harper can go, and he can take Rami with him, but he has to stay with the fleet. Harper and Rami leave in the Maru and head for Earth. When they reach Earth, Harper wants to know how they're going to get past the Nietzscheans' orbital defense network. Rami has a plan. But why show us when Harper can just use a little exposition after they get to the surface and tell us how they did it? Anyway, it was something about faking an artificial media swarm. It's not important. They get there undetected and eventually meet up with Brendan, who takes him to meet the rest of the gang. Here's the plan. The people of Earth need to rise up against the Nietzscheans to get them to expose their armored units <laughs> so that the Andromeda can get there just in time to swoop in and pick them off. Brendan wants Harper to rouse the people, so he gives a stirring speech that William Wallace would be proud of and gets the people all excited. Problem is, everything he said was a lie. Back on Andromeda, the battle is going easy. A little too easy. Dylan doesn't like it and orders to stand down the attack. Back on Earth, Rami is setting up recon eyes and plasma mines all over the place. Next, she teaches the boys how to use a force lance and to use their communication bracers and ECM units while Brendan explains how to use a Molotov cocktail. Harper, hesitantly, gives the order to attack. And it's on. Back on Andromeda, upon further investigation, they find that there is nothing to the Nietzschean fleet they've been defeating, but rather it's just empty hulls with slipstream drives. Dylan says pull back and make the dragons follow, but the jaguars have already started attacking. On Earth, the revolt isn't going well. The rebels are outnumbered. Harper loses communication with Brendan and leaves Rami to go after him. Back on Andromeda, the empty Nietzschean ships suddenly start firing their slip drives, causing a sort of slipstream whirlpool, sucking the Andromeda in and spitting them out somewhere in the outer system of Kralux. The rest of the fleet is who knows where. And now who should show up but a Nietzschean fleet, headed up by Fleet Admiral Kudamak, Kukulin's successor. It would seem Kukulin is no more, due to his inability to defeat Hunt. On Earth... Harper finds Brendan being beaten by a couple of Nietzscheans in a dark alley. Harper kills them and saves his cousin. 
As Rami treats his injuries, she gets word that people are rising up and joining the fight all over Earth. This is good news, as it will completely expose the Nietzscheans when the Andromeda arrives in 5 hours and 21 minutes. Cut to Andromeda. Dylan says, we've got problems here, we're not going to help Earth. Back to Earth. Tyr arrives in a slip fighter to deliver the bad news. He advises Harper to stop the revolt and then says, I'm out of here, dude. Harper goes to Brendan and tells him they have to stop the revolt. It isn't going to work without the Andromeda's help. Brendan says the fire has already started and it can't be stopped now. And he is staying and will likely burn down with it. The Andromeda has most of the fleet back together, but they're in no condition to fight. We need one of Dylan's crazy plans. Dylan says to go back to the Coolidge system. Becca says the Nietzscheans turned space and slipstream inside out in the Coolidge system, and the only way to navigate successfully is if they do it absolutely perfectly. So that's what they do with the whole fleet in tow. Meanwhile, Harper and Rami arrive back with the Maru. Dylan comes to see Harper, but he isn't really in the mood to talk. Dylan shows Harper a flexi with a video of Brendan giving a great speech in support of the revolution. The video has gone viral, and slave worlds all over the Drago Katzoff Empire are rising up. It was all worth it, after all. The end. Just once, Ryan, I would like for you to forget mm-hmm. to edit out your mistakes in summary. <laughs> instead of just forgetting mine. <laughs> editing, editing out mine. Did I do it again? Yes, you did. <laughs> well, I do apologize for that. No, don't worry about it. <laughs> no, uh, good summary. Uh, I, I guess the first question I want to ask you is, what do you think went through Dylan's mind when he saw Elle's bit come on the screen for the first time? Um, I hope she doesn't have an attorney with her. <laughs> uh, was Bolivar lying to uh-huh. me? Is this, you know, going to be the rest of my life now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't help but think, because the look on his face was just right. like, oh, her. Right. He, he's he's honor bound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is going to be shotgun wedding and everything. Right, or Goss Gun or Goss, Blaster Goss, or Goss, Goss Gun whatever, Wedding. Whatever, whatever they... That's a great band name. <laughs> Goss Gun Wedding. <laughs> I like it. It's ours, you can't it's use ours. it. It's ours, don't use it. No. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, that was just my thought. When Would would you see the, the look of, <laughs> uh-oh, on his face? You know, it was very much like what we got last week in the, in the, the previous episode. Right. So, anyway. You know, since, since you went Elsbeth first, I'm going to go ahead and stay on that. Um, I gotta say, another round of applause for the Nietzscheans. And here's why. I mean, they work so hard on making sure that they are are mentally and physically perfect. Even their recovery time is just drastically miles, light years ahead of what ours is now. Yeah. I got, I, it's just amazing the way that Elsbeth was able to lose all that baby weight. In a week's time. Or, or a couple of weeks. Well, I mean, here's what I'm here's yeah. We saw Charlemagne on Into the Labyrinth. That was two weeks ago. Two weeks. Okay. That's she was she was with child. Yes. Um, let's just assume, purely for argument's sake, let's say that she delivered that baby while Charlemagne was on the Andromeda. Right. In that episode. Okay. Still two weeks. To get back in that form, up and around, I mean, you know, there's no six weeks off of work for her. Nope. <laughs> no maternity leave. <laughs> All the yeah. baby weight gone, no yeah. stretch marks. She's showing her midriff and everything. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. that's amazing. They've got a great reproductive system, mm-hmm. you know, bef- before, during, and after. Sure. I'm, I'm going to say that that's what it is. It can't be... A total oversight by the writers. Do you, do you think she screamed during childbirth? I highly doubt it. Uh, I think that's something that a Nietzschean wouldn't do. No. Yeah. No signs of weakness. Mm-hmm. It, and it, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Uh, new hair for Becca. Yeah. I, I like it. I don't. You don't? I don't. I, it, to me, it says, I like to party. That's, that's, that's the look that she's got going on there. And she was really like... Excessively perky in this episode, I thought. She's we, not on screen a whole lot. But we haven't really seen her much lately. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. We haven't. And and she was very up, you know, not not upbeat, I would say, but she was feisty, it seemed like. Yeah. 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 I, I, I thought the look went well for her, 
for this particular episode. Okay, that's fine. I didn't care for it as much. I prefer longer hair. Okay. Well, okay, if we're going with preferences, yes, mm-hmm. I like longer hair too. But if you got a short haircut, uh, if it's well done, I'll notice. And and I noticed. It was, you know, this looked good on Lisa Ryder, I thought. Okay. Let's move on. All right. And we also have further proof in this episode. If we have not been convinced enough, Harper really is a super genius. How's that? He invented a dog whistle. He did invent a dog whistle uh, into the ultrasonic. Never been done before. Yeah. (laughs) Except for the dog whistle. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The whistle to which I referred, I guess. Maybe that's, maybe it's, you know, they haven't dug that up in archaeology on Earth 3,000 years now. So you're saying the dog whistle in the next 3,000 years becomes a lost art? It could. Yeah. <laughs> Hard as that may be to believe, but uh, yeah. Okay. Know, memory retention is becoming a lost art for our society today, so that's because of electronic devices, advancement. Yeah, it seems like people are having trouble with their short-term memory, too, more and more lately. Yes. And, you know. Mm-hmm. So, that, you know, stands to reason that that could happen 3,000 years from now. We'd forget about how to make a dog whistle. You see what I did there? Yes, but I'm choosing not to acknowledge it. Oh, okay. Fair enough. You mentioned in your your uh, your summary, and it was a point that I totally I I I, admit, I saw it, but I didn't write anything down on it because I was just going to let it go. But since it came up in the summary, I'm going to bring it up. Meteor storm. Mm-hmm. I love I love how this show is able to paint a very grandiose, very dramatic event without ever showing it to you at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, it, and, then, and then afterward, it's, wow, that was a really dramatic event. You know, that was fantastic. And, and we're all thinking, well, we'd sure like to have seen that. Yeah. Oh, there's no budget for it. Right. Hey, you know what? Why show when you can just tell? When you can just tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, and Earth, Earth, I'm glad to see that it's a series of underground tunnels. Yeah. You know. In the future. That's, right. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think that's the actual city of Boston. You ever seen uh, Cities of the Underworld on History Channel? No, I haven't. It's fantastic where they go into these uh, uh, modern bustling cities, but they go underneath. You know, the, the infrastructure over over the centuries, yeah. they just they, the the communities and the they just start building on top of what was already there. Yeah. Yeah, and there's always all these tunnels and catacombs and all kinds of stuff. It's it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Under cities like New York City, Chicago, D.C., Rome, you know. Rome, that was a good episode. You should check that out. Okay. Yeah. Is this on Netflix? I don't know if it is or not. Okay. Well, I'll look for it. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Now we're off topic. Yeah, but, but this is what we got going. This yeah, is yeah. Uh, This is 3,000 years from now, Cities of the Underworld, Boston. Okay, explain to me one thing. Uh, the, the setup shot... That allows us to know that we're on Earth. Mm-hmm. That obelisk in the foreground, was that the Washington Monument broken off like, and then you know collapsed into the dirt? I hope not. <laughs> um, or was that something supposed to be something else and I just missed it? In well, the- I didn't know what that was, but I'm hoping it was not the Washington Monument. Um, mainly because it's been 3,000 years. Yeah. Why? Why is it still laying what? there, broken? I mean, if if it's been destroyed, I can buy that. The Nietzscheans come on; they want to destroy um, any anything that might give the Kluges hope, right? Yeah, destroy and, all traces of democracy and mm-hmm. whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So I can see why they would they would want to destroy that. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure why it's still laying there like it just fell over yesterday. Yeah. I, I'm I'm thinking that it was probably supposed to be something that's a landmark in Boston. Okay. I think that's maybe what it was supposed to be because I think we were supposed to establish that this was Boston that they were in. Yeah. Yeah. So why show Washington? Mm-hmm. Unless the fact that, you know, the name Bunker Hill and you immediately think George Washington. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, like you mentioned earlier uh, in before we started in your trivia, you said – you were explaining a little bit about the Bunker Hill because not all of our listeners um, grew up in the American education system, so may not know all of the history of the of the of, of the American Revolution. Right? Maybe all they know about America is Washington. Establish that you're in, on the Eastern Seaboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Possibly that that makes it kind of somewhat acceptable. Okay. Except for your argument that you really hope it's not the Washington Monument. 
yeah. Well, but (laughs) (laughs) talking about short term memory loss, uh, you got me. (laughs) You got me. Uh, But if it is, then I hope that's why. I hope it's not. But if it is, let's move on. All right. You know, I, I got I got a little problem with some of Ozzy's fashion choices, and I know because I've done this. Chief, chief among them, or first among them, the name Ozzy. <laughs> right. <laughs> who, who does that to their child? I don't Maybe know. Maybe it's a thing 3,000 years from now, but okay. The, the thing that I want to tell Ozzy, though, is that the, uh, the, the foil is supposed to go on your head. <laughs> yes. Yes. What was that? I don't know. I don't know. What are they? What were they trying to do with, was, the, with the foil it was Reynolds on his glasses? <laughs> I, I guess they're trying to show that that's all he had to reinforce his the frames, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Okay. So they had plenty of, of foil, plenty of Reynolds wrap, but they don't have any scotch tape. They can make Nietzschean dog whistles <laughs> <laughs> out of whatever the material was. but they, they must be made out of foil. They must be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can't reinforce glasses with simple black tape or hmm. <laughs> anything like that. It's interesting to me. With uh, Tyr and Elsbeth, the scene that they have together, how in the first episode, Tyr is a nobody. Elsbeth wants nothing to do with Tyr, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering that correctly. And then now on the on her return, Elsbeth's practically throwing herself at Tyr. Suggests offering herself, uh, not just a, a sister, uh, an underling, or something like that for Tyr. Um, in order to get information out of them. Mm-hmm. And to me, it just, it feels like to me, she's not in a happy marriage. Mm. I don't it, know it if many seem... Nietzschean marriages are happy marriages. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think they're, they're more like business contracts. Yeah. Um, because that, that brings up an interesting question and maybe we should save this for later, but, but since we're on it now, how exactly does that work? How do you make that trade? Uh, because because Nietzschean women, okay, of course, Nietzschean males, they can be polygamous. Yes. They take on as many wives as they can, We've right? Establish that, yeah. But it's up to the females of whether or not they're going to take on a male. Yes. Okay. It's not the male's decision. Well, I mean, he has a part in the decision, but basically she has to offer herself for yes, marriage. Yes, yes. Okay. But can a Nietzschean woman, can she and be a, a, a polyandrous marriage? Is that a word? I like it. Okay. Go, go with that. All right. So can, can can they do that? Or what has to happen here? Does does she serve him papers? <laughs> or does Tyr have to knock Charlemagne off? I mean, what exactly is she proposing here? Wow, you know, that's a that's an interesting topic for conversation. And you're right, I don't know that this is the place for it, but uh, I'm really intrigued by the idea of Tyr being involved in that, or being invited into that relationship and how that affects Charlemagne. What happens between the two of them? Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen, so all of this is a moot point, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know where you go with that. Right. Because Tyr doesn't immediately dismiss it as if that can't happen. Doesn't he? Not in the sense of legality. Okay. He he doesn't turn it down as in that cannot happen. Right, right, right. He does turn it down in the sense that I'm not having any part of that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Right. But what is it that he's not... What is it of which he's not having any part? <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I follow you. And, and really, I, we don't have a precedent for this. Mm-hmm. All we have seen so far is a male-dominated society. Mm-hmm. It's one where the woman has a choice, but ultimately, yeah, we've only seen it from kind of a male perspective so far, I think. Mm-hmm. Eh. Hmm. Eh. Unanswered question. I'd, I'd like to know. So I'm taking it, we don't see anything like this going forward in the series. I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe we will. Okay. And we can get an answer then. Okay. Or at least speculate at that point. Okay. Let, let, let's, put the, let's put a very long-range pin in like, that. Put a lawn dart in that. <laughs> put a lawn dart in that. Lawn darts, <laughs> yeah. There's an 80s memory. 
Hey, I have a question. Go for it. What's with the OR light on the command deck? The operating room light? I'm or not maybe the re- light that goes over a dentist chair. I'm not recalling this. Um, there's a point. I've never noticed this before. Maybe I thought before. God had just cast a, <laughs> cast no, a beam on No, it's not God. It's definitely <laughs> a big, giant light fixture with lots of bright bulbs in it that is right above Becca. And then when she gets done doing whatever she's doing at her station... Is this like during th- Slipstream? No, it's during battle. Okay. And then the whole thing just lifts up. I Well, I thought... I thought all of the the thing that drops down and then comes out. I thought that was all part of the slipstream. That's what I'm recalling. Do we need to review? Ah, uh, maybe. Let's, maybe let's we review. Need, we need to have. All right, well, we let's, to, let's we need to review. review. Okay. Upon further review, Ethan and I still don't really know what that thing is. <laughs> but it has to do with slipstream. Yeah, it does. I, I was partially correct. It's definitely. On that. It's down while when they're coming out of slipstream. When yes. they come out of slipstream, Becca raises it up, or it raises up for her. But we're looking at it on the screen now. Ethan, can you try to describe it? Well, it looks like eight 65-watt can light bulbs arranged in a in sequence there, um, two rows of four, mm-hmm. uh, directly above the person that's doing the slipstream piloting. Uh, what purpose it serves? Who knows? I mean, I guess you need to have really good lighting to pilot Slipstream. Yeah. I mean, sir, doesn't that look like something that would be above an operating, an operating table? table? Yes, absolutely. Uh, now that you have brought that up, yes. Yes, that is exactly what it should be for. Or a dentist chair. And and for those of you who, who would like to see this, if you go on and look in this episode, and uh, it's at... Roughly 29.30. Yeah, 29.30. Yeah. 29 minutes, 30 seconds. That's where it is in the episode. See if you can figure out what in the world this thing is. We'd love to hear about it. We would. Your uh, thoughts on what is the uh, bright examining table light mm-hmm. above the slipstream uh, kiosk. Right. And if you'll stick around uh, later at the end of the show, we will give you some contact information. And let's just give it to him right now. Okay. Email your thoughts and suggestions as to what the examining table lights above the slipstream kiosk is at drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. That's right, and we're also on the social media. We're on Facebook and No, Twitter. it's not the end yet. What? <laughs> we're not at the end of the show yet. Oh, where are we? <laughs> we have derailed. Sorry, I'm a creature of habit. Yeah, still in observations. <laughs> oh, okay. Then I believe it's your turn, sir. Uh, Becca flies a few hundred ships. Speaking of the, the, the lighted kiosk above her, uh, she flies a few hundred ships... Slave to her slipstream chair through a dangerous area of space. No mistakes can be made, as you brought out, or all is going to be lost. Mm-hmm. How much you want to bet that she wished she had a couple of drops of flash right about then? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought, no pressure. Mm-hmm. No pressure. You only have a few hundred thousand lives, you know, sure. at your fingertips. Right. Yeah. Uh, what a time to quit using flash. <laughs> You know, it's a, you bring that up. Uh, I had that as a note for a talking point later, um, because we actually get an answer to something that we have questioned before, as far as okay. exactly how does that work when you're when you're when a whole fleet is going through slipstream? Uh, yeah, about slaving uh-huh. all of the ships to one one computer, console, right? One and pilot. So it would seem that they really there's an option. They can do it either way. Yeah. So evidently, the first time. Uh, they must have have all been piloting themselves, because this time they make a point of of making the point that Becca is in control of all of them. Yeah, let's set it up so that Becca is towing the whole fleet, and she does mm-hmm. quite successfully. She's a great pilot. Yeah, she really is. Yeah, and he, he, I guess one last thing before we move on. You know, it took a while for them to realize that this whole thing was just a big setup, a big trap. I'll tell you what their first clue should have been. The Castilians were winning. (laughs) Yeah. They they should have looked at their monitors and said, the Castilians are doing great. Something's wrong. (laughs) Because we have been in battle situations with them. We've already established they're worthless in a fight. Right. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're doing great. Yeah, I don't know. Time this, to work. Well, that is this, why Dylan is worried. This I whole think. thing just really seems a bit fishy. This this smells mm-hmm. of, yeah. 
Was that too easy? <laughs> Way too easy. Was that low-hanging you, fruit? You, you left me without anything to oh, to add. I'm sorry. Well, you know what? They're still taking them, so I'm going to take them, too. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a great point. That's a great point. Well, Ryan, uh, that's enough for our observations of the show. Uh, let's move on to what have we actually learned about the Andromeda universe and our characters in this episode. You know, there was one thing that kind of stuck out to me, and and I think it's because I, just this weekend, it was completely a coincidence, but I watched the Star Trek Next Generation episode, Legacy. Um, Refresh me. That was the one where they went back to Tasha Yar's home planet, and they met her little sister. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, and you know, a little bit of the background of Tasha Yar, she was on this horrible, horrible planet, and she got off of it and joined Starfleet. The rest of it, we know. Yeah. Um, unless you don't know, then go back and watch Star Trek The Next Generation. After you finish watching Andromeda. <laughs> don't waste your time with that other Gene Roddenberry show. <laughs> right, right. It took him a while to get his feet. <laughs> now we're going to have the emails. Yeah, now they come. Uh we're kidding, but um, but anyway, there were so many parallels between that story and this story. You have the one who goes away and tries to make a better life from, for themselves, and the one that stays behind. And so in both of these stories, uh, we have Tasha Yar is Harper, and Tasha's little sister is Brendan. Yeah. And they kind of have that... They both kind of have that resentment toward the one that left. Yeah. And when, you know, really it brings up the questions is, you know, why did you go? But then the other can say, why did you stay? You're in danger here. Yeah. And I I think that's a legitimate question that Harper should have asked. Mm -hmm. In that back and forth that they had, why didn't Harper ask him, why have you stayed here? Right. There is nothing for you here. You are just as... Uh, upright and capable as I am, you know, mm-hmm. why remain? Yeah. And I think that's a, probably out of the two, it's probably the more legitimate question. Right. And I got to wonder with Brendan, it's even really more of a question of why did he stay than it is with Tasha Yar's little sister. Did we establish, does he have a family? Uh, dead. D- d- is there anyone there of significance to him besides acquaintances and friends? That have joined him in his, and it's only five of them that have joined him <laughs> right. in his res, his resistance movement. Right. Yeah. No. What, what's what's holding him there? On it. What's holding any of those people there? It's just it's home. Yeah. It's Earth. And they, it's, they just yeah, don't want to let and go. Harper does indicate that it is still important to him. Right. So therefore, it would be important to them. But too. not so important that he's going to stay there and live a miserable life, constantly in fear of the Nietzscheans. You know that he 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 had his chance and he got out. The rest of them had their chance. They didn't get out. Well, okay. We, now now we're I think assuming a bit much. Did they all have a chance? No, maybe not. Okay, but they could have been working for that chance. Do you think Brendan had that chance? Do you think Harper? We don't know. This is speculation. But do you think Harper just? I don't know, just saw a freighter drop out of the sky and he just jumped on it and didn't tell anybody? Or whenever that opportunity came for him to get off the planet, did he not invite his closest friends and relatives that were still there? Yeah. I don't know. And, we don't know that. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, like you say, though, what what was there for Brendan? Um, Boston didn't look like that great of a place to stay. Not really. I can think of better places on Earth. Despite the whatever damage had been done to the environment, mm-hmm. seems like if you moved closer to the equator, it might have been a little bit better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or go north, maybe where where it's a little cooler, maybe if it's greenhouse gases or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I'm speculating again. Well, that's okay. That's what we do. <laughs> it is what we do. Um, you know, going back to this uh, legacy episode. Uh, with Tasha Yar's sister. Way to bring this back to Star Trek again. I, anytime I can. Yes. Um, wh- one thing that that she had there was she did have a support group, all of her friends and everyone that that was there around her. But there were also she had joined. She had just joined this coalition group. They were fighting for something. They were trying to make a change. She believed in that. Tasha Yar didn't. And. 
so she left and her sister didn't. Yeah. And it, it, it brings again the question that we've been asking, what was there for Brendan? I mean, like you say, he had his, his five friends there in his in his group. Right. And maybe that's it. Maybe that is what held him there. Is okay. that hope that something could happen so that they would be able to fight back and that they would be able to get their home back under their control. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's all it is. Okay. That, that seems to be what he's indicating anyway. Okay. And maybe we should just accept that, that that's, that was his reason for staying. Isn't because of people. Isn't because of friends. There wasn't really anything there that we can point at and say, yeah, he had a family, so that's why he stayed. No. His family was gone, but Earth was there. Okay. And there were, there were millions of people suffering. And maybe that's all it took for him to stay. Okay. All right. Um, and I apologize for continuing to bring the, the <laughs> Star Trek episode into this. But it, but the reason that I was thinking about it is because I just saw it, and there were so many parallels in the stories. Yeah. And so bringing it back just to this Andromeda episode and and the themes that that, that Next Generation episode was – was kind of reinforcing are these questions of loyalty versus survival. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess many times there are, there are things that I think most all people um, are going, they're going to draw the line somewhere. Something is more important than their survival or something is more important than their loyalty. You would hope not. You'd hope you'd be loyal. Um, Harper wasn't. Right, I mean, in the, in the end, he kind of ended up being a little bit. Yeah, but when he got his chance, he was gone. Right, but don't you get the impression that because of what he was up against with the Nietzscheans after him mm-hmm. and losing his parents because of him? Right, don't you think that would have been those Nietzscheans being after him and losing his family? That would have been a very clear and present danger for him, and that would have been a reason for him to get off planet. Oh, absolutely, and I don't question his reasons for getting off of Earth. Okay, But the people back on Earth did. They sure did, yeah. And and it's because they didn't have all of the answers. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the whole situation where they could see it. Mm -hmm. And obviously when Brandon found out, that that was enough. seemed like that was enough of an answer for him. Yeah. When when Harper revealed why his father stepped in and, and... died right his mother died because they were protecting harper Mm -hmm. because harper was in trouble with the nietzscheans because he created a dog whistle (laughs) (laughs) a little odd when you say it out loud yeah it's kind of silly now but you know there was reasons Mm -hmm. so let that be a lesson to you kids don't play with dog whistles in public (laughs) right and and don't play with laser pointers near the airport either that's that's true the more you know (laughs) yeah It was just kind of interesting, though, the the lines between survival and loyalty or betrayal. I kind of want to stay on this just a little bit longer. Okay. This situation with Earth. Okay. Because something that we do learn about the universe, uh, Rami brings up that there are 837 slave planets like Earth under Mm -hmm. Nietzschean control. Right. That's the number, 837. She used to call them Tarn Vedra class? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, she does. So Earth doesn't matter, basically, mm-hmm. is the point that she's trying to make. There's 836 other planets that are enduring the same suffering, mm-hmm. the same the same type of situation. And then it, it's funny, once Harper gets there and realizes what he's up against, what I thought was interesting in kind of what we learned about Harper, it's funny how he's being leaned on by his cousin to offer hope. To, to the people of Earth, mm-hmm. right? Right. We're talking about a man that just weeks before was ready to end his own life because he had no hope mm-hmm. because of the Magog larvae that were squirming around in his belly. And still are. And still are. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and yeah, he doesn't make any mention of it. We don't get any indication. I'm okay with that. I mean, we've kind of already established that Harper's got a plan working. You know, he's working toward his own salvation now. But considering that just a few weeks ago he was wallowing in his own self-pity and without hope, now he's going to inspire an entire population and give them hope. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an interesting position for this character to be put into. Right. And, and, it, and it shows, I think, 
Harper's resilience. And, and, and he feels bad that he left on one hand, I think. But when it comes, when, when it comes time to double down and, and, and put all his chips in, he does it. He, he wants to fight for earth. He wants to fight for his freedom. And when it, even though it requires him to lie, and while I don't think Harper has a real problem with lying, but it's it's the giving hope when even in his mind he doesn't feel like hope is there. I think this is kind of a it's an interesting turn for Harper. I think yeah, and kind of gives us a little bit of a, a little bit of growth actually. Yeah, and I think it's 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 more about uh, saving the people he cares about and saving his home planet. Then it has anything to do with himself. Um, as far as him giving the other people hope, he was really kind of forced into that. That's not what he went there to do, really. I mean, he went there to try to do something. He didn't know he was going to have to try to try to to rile up the people. And and when he starts that speech, I mean, he's just it's awful. He's he's just stammering through it. He doesn't know what to say. And then all of a sudden he just kind of falls into something, you know, and just like, yeah, that's what I meant to say. We're, we should have a plan, but instead we're going to wing it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, you know, of course, what great speech doesn't just end with chanting freedom. I mean, that's enough to get any crowd going. The, yeah. So. Yeah, and it worked well there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole thing was just a total lie. So yeah, I just I I just wanted to bring out the fact that it, it it's kind of an interesting play on this character, mm-hmm. and considering the positions that we've seen him in in the previous weeks, right? In previous episodes, for him now to suddenly be that guy that's telling you, you know, take the gun away from your head. There's something you can hope for here, even though he may not believe in himself, as you brought out. It, he's in the position of having to do that, mm-hmm. you know, and that, I thought that was interesting, right? He's also really put in a position of leadership, and he is so visibly not comfortable with that. Yes. Yeah. Which is why I think it's a great thing that they put – they kind of plug Brendan Brendan mm-hmm. into that pos- position of, of leadership and kind of remove Harper out of it. Yeah, they did. Uh, are you talking about at the very end? Yeah, at the very okay. end. Yes. Okay, yeah. But while Harper was there, he's the man. He's, yeah, he's calling the shots uh, until Brendan. He and Brendan had that conversation in the the tunnel before Brendan goes up the the airlock or whatever the mm-hmm. thing was. Uh, that's the handoff, in my okay. opinion, in this episode. And I thought, it, yeah, I thought it was great because yeah. Harper doesn't like being in that position. Right, he's ready to relinquish it at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. Tyr tells him, "Make them retreat." Yeah, uh, that's a great idea. <laughs> let's let's make everybody retreat. Yeah, that's what he wants to do, mm-hmm. and and that is in very much in keeping with Harper's character. Well, I mean, is it what he wants to do when Tyr tells him that? I mean, he kind of he kind of no. butts heads with Tyr a little bit. It's not what bit. he wants, but it's because he doesn't want to make people mad. He, yeah, he doesn't want to upset the people. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I see that. But in the end, you know, he's he's like, we have to tell them to stop because they're going to die, mm-hmm. and then we can't do anything. And Brendan's like, no, we've lit the fire, right? Uh, and I'm part of it. I'm I'm going up this 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 ladder right here. Right. And he does. So yeah, I I, I feel like we we've we've harped, mm-hmm. pardon the expression, a lot on Harper for lack of growth as a character and mm-hmm. taking a few steps backwards in this second season. But I think here we've actually we've seen some progression. Yeah. And, and yeah, he's flawed. Yeah, he still has issues to deal with and. Some self-centeredness, but I, I liked Harper better at the end of this episode, I think. Yeah, and it, it does follow the regular pattern of, of what Harper always does. He always goes for the uh, the selfish decision first, the easy way out decision first, and then he ends up doing the right thing. And now the selfish part, it it wasn't as extreme this time. Right. It was, it was very short-lived. Um, most of it was really just being uncomfortable with being in charge. Yes. Ordering what ends up being thousands of people possibly to their deaths. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's my observations on that whole situation there. Uh, another point that I wanted to talk about. Okay. Um, we learned why Bolivar Charlemagne is so eager to sign on this alliance 
with the new uh, Commonwealth, mm-hmm. right? Right. What was that? Why was he in such a hurry? Oh, it's just problems with the in-laws. <laughs> problems with the in-laws, yeah. yeah. He's ready to go to war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, apparently he's, they are ready to start the war with the Drago Kassoff Pride at the time that he's meeting with Dylan on the ship. Because you can't imagine that they're refitting vessels and gearing up without that intention, mm-hmm. without a start date in right. mind. So they're ready to go. Um, Elsbeth shows up, and and we get to see Charlemagne's overconfidence is evident in that episode, uh, a couple episodes back. Into the labyrinth. And we get nothing different with Elsbeth. Mm-hmm. That arrogance is there with her, too. Right. And, and so what I'm seeing here. She's willing to take any kind of victory. A mm. victory is a victory. Right. Dylan is cognizant of the fact that that's not really true. Mm-hmm. And he explains that fact to her. She doesn't get it, though. No, I think all of the uh, Sabra Jaguar, they need a little Admiral Akbar on all of their ships. <laughs> yes. yes. Just to tell them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's there's a Mon Calmari Castalian joke in there somewhere, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna we're, we don't have time, no time. Uh, but in, in any case, Dylan knows this, and it's great that he's there to be kind of the head of this alliance. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you do you get the feeling that if if the Jaguar Sabra were allowed to were left to their own devices, they probably would have. Eliminated themselves. They would have taken themselves out of the. It power would have struggle. been a one-day war. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it would. Yes, I it mean would. the Drago Katzoff had it set up so beautifully. Yeah. Speaking of that setup, uh, we were talking a little bit ago about the fact that they had empty vessels, right? And yet they were fighting, weren't they? It seems like they were fighting. I mean, if if the the Castellian ships. Uh, having success against them is not enough of an indicator that something's wrong here. Something's fishy. Then it would be the fact that none of these Nietzschean ships are firing back. Yeah. That was never mentioned. Right. So we have to assume they are actively fighting against these enemy vessels. Yeah. So my question is, how does that work? Do you have a crew of Nietzscheans on board? There's I don't no think so. way. There is no possible way. You're right. I agree with you. Because that would that would be suicide. So what I'm thinking is they talked about 837 slave planets. Has the, have the Drago Kassov? Have they just put humans and other aliens on board these ships to fly them and fight as proxies? Basically, they would still have to have all the systems online. I mean, the way they describe these ships, they say they are empty hulls with nothing but a slip drive. I don't know. And here I am. Look at me. I'm making this a Star Trek discussion. Think back to Star Trek Three. What did Scotty do for the Enterprise? He made it able to function with only, what, four, five people on the bridge. Five volts. Yeah. Oh, that was uh, Apollo 13. Okay. No, 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 no. Not voltage. (laughs) No, with like five or six crew members on the bridge. Mm -hmm. Fully automated. Now, it ended up blowing up in their faces, but, you know, it's Scotty. He only had a few minutes to rig that up. (laughs) And a full bottle of scotch, I'm sure. (laughs) And a full bottle of scotch. No, anyway, so I guess you you could set it up with that much retrofitting. I I guess you could set up a ship with just a handful of people to be able to at least fire. Maybe it doesn't have a full crew where they can all track and hit their targets, but at least make them to where they can fire out. Some sort of light show, anyway. Well, if they did that, then you know what they definitely disabled was any sort of communication system. Yes. Because <laughs> if I'm one of the slaves on one of those Nietzschean ships, I'm like, calling Andromeda, calling Andromeda. <laughs> Help us out. Right. Or We're on your side. Why, if, if that's what the case is, then why, why do the slaves go ahead and fire? Why don't they just sit there and not take any aggressive action? Mm, I don't know. That's... Maybe they have at least one Nietzschean on board no. that has a fatal disease that <laughs> <laughs> says, All right. I will kill you if you don't at least do this. You okay. Know? So maybe they've got some of the uh, sterile or otherwise defective Nietzscheans. We know there is some imperfection out there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Are they going to sacrifice themselves, though? 
I mean, okay. That, now, now you're getting into a whole another realm of speculation. Well, I, I'm I'm going to say no. They're not. It is so deeply ingrained in, in Nietzschean culture. They, under absolutely no circumstances, do they sacrifice themselves. The only however, thing, however, there is a precedent for Nietzscheans sacrificing themselves for the greater good of other Nietzscheans. I don't think so. Only Drago Museveni. That's been stated. The body of Drago Museveni is the only thing that a Nietzschean holds in higher regard than their own selves. Okay. It's the only thing. Okay. Put a pin in that. We're going to have a they discussion They don't care later. about any other Nietzscheans, any other people. The only reason they stay with all the other Nietzscheans is because it's better for them. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm willing to accept that. I feel that right like I've now. started yelling, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel like we're gonna ha- we're gonna come back to this conversation a, a few more times. Okay, in light of other maybe other episodes and, and other things. So, okay, I'll accept that for now. Okay, it, I, it, it, I'll, I will accept the fact that we don't have an answer right now. <laughs> all right, I just don't think there was anyone on those ships. Okay, the the, the description that was given: empty hulls with nothing but a slip drive. So I think there's there's no life support, you know, nothing on them to to be a fully functioning or even partially functioning ship, you know. The, how are the weapons firing? How are they flying around? How are they making evasive and attack maneuvers in some sort of battle formation? It this this whole part of this doesn't make any sense to me, and it, it's kind of bothering me. It's it's well, it's it's either elaborate AI or somebody sacrificing themselves. Okay, well, I haven't seen anything to indicate that any other AI doesn't have to be Rami AI. You can you can do a basic program. I, I, honestly, in mm-hmm. all honesty, the battle scenes in this episode looked like they were taking those ships out pretty easily. Well, they were, but that was the that was the point. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. just very basic AI ones and zeros. If this, then this. Okay. It could be done. All right. Let's accept it and move on. Okay. <laughs> Fine. All right. Well, then, how about if we talk about the quote a little bit? Let's talk about. You want to do that? Yeah. Let's do that. All right. Here is the price of freedom: your every drop of courage, ounce of pain, pint of blood, paid in advance. Uh, this was uh, credited to a Sebastian Lee, uh, evidently from a work, The Rising Tide, the year AFC 271. Okay, I'm going to be perfectly honest in this. All right. Ryan, you're going to have to help me understand how this quote relates to Bunker Hill. Well, you're the history buff. <laughs> no, I'm not talking Bunker Hill history. I'm talking Bunker Hill the episode. Oh, okay. We're going to talk about that? Yeah. Okay, well, I think it's got to be what they're going through in Boston, making that first strike. They say it in both in both storylines, uh, in Boston, and they say it uh, on the Andromeda that the the I remember exactly how they worded it, but basically the the main the first attack you usually lose. Yeah, that's true. They do they do say that. Okay, and they they use that in both situations. So basically, what it comes down to is you're gonna fight for freedom Mm -hmm. but you yourself are not going to experience that freedom it's going to be people coming after you that will benefit from the price that's paid which is your blood right all right that makes sense and you know i mean i think that's i think this is uh, a quote that a lot of people would subscribe to yeah definitely yeah i mean what what's the price of freedom yeah, it's usually blood Mm -hmm. blood is usually shed for it right and you look at uh i think that i think this episode is very America centric, don't you think? I mean, they, they they make they make references to um, Bunker Hill and and Boston. This is where the uh, I can't remember exactly how Harper phrased it, but basically saying this is where the the greatest. I don't want to say civilization because it's supposed to be the Commonwealth that was the greatest civilization ever. Yeah, yeah. But, but that that's pretty Freedom much started here. I think right, that's pretty like much that what he, he alludes to. Yeah. It's just the fact that you know this is where everything started. Yeah, yeah. Um, the greatest whatever Which is it was. Which kind of that an arrogant said. statement because didn't didn't Greece have a democracy? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. 
All right. So, uh, all right. I wasn't wrong in that thought. Then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I don't know if he was specifically talking about democracy, but it just, I guess, just the way that they want to live. Yeah. They're they're basically saying the American way of life. But I think this transcends just um, the American history. Any uh, country that ex- that is in existence now or has existed throughout history. Um. If they had any sort of sovereignty for themselves or any sort of, of measure of freedom, usually it's always the result of of conflict. Yeah. There's always conflict before yeah. the, any of, before any of these things are obtained. And so, I mean, I think that this quote really is just – is proven throughout history. Yes. And yet my thought during this episode and watching it – because, yes, I'm seeing the very Americanized kind of – uh, point of view, mm-hmm. I guess, that, that you're talking about, that you're alluding to, and mm-hmm. what you just said there. Um, but at the same time, I'm thinking about like the Arab Spring and how a lot of people rose up. You had the revolutions. You had people laying down their lives, paying that price for freedom for others. Mm-hmm. And what's the result of it? It's a bigger mess than ever. A lot of those people that laid down their lives just lay down their lives and the people left behind don't have the freedom. It's, it's just as much a mess in eh, Libya and Egypt and Syria and all of those places where we saw the same kind of rising up that you saw in the United States back in, or the colonies back in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting how, yeah, that's a statement that most people will look to and subscribe to because of what they know from history and yet, when you see that sort of thing happen today, it you know, the dividends aren't the same. And I think that's kind of sad mm-hmm. that, that that's the kind of world that we live in today. For me, what I take away from this episode – are we talking about what we learn from the episode itself or, or how we feel about the episode? Is that where you want to go now? I think I think this is a good segue into okay. it. So I'm, I'm just going to jump in both feet and do this. Um, what I really honed in on was Dylan – talking about how he doesn't say it specifically, but there's victory and defeat. Yeah. And and I feel like that's the message. That's the positive message to take away from this episode is you might fail. And here again, Bunker Hill, Mm -hmm. the American revolution, that was a failure for the American uh, revolutionary army. And yet it wasn't, Mm -hmm. you could see that there was victory in that, misstep in that failure and that's what we see in this episode here and i think that's what you have to take away from this episode right is that you're gonna fall right you're gonna make mistakes try to see the positive in it try to find the victory in that learn from it and then make it a real victory later Mm -hmm. and i think that's what you have to take away from this the difference is that uh in real life the to see the results of that is not always immediate Right. Um, the American Revolution lasted for years. Yeah. There was still some time that passed after the Battle of Bunker of Bunker Hill. In this episode, we see almost immediately they see the success of their failure in in both cases. The war went on after that mm-hmm. till what seventeen eighty seventeen eighty three eighty three yeah according to. Uh, the the Googles it's seventeen seventy five to seventeen eighty three was yeah. the American Revolution here so it definitely it, it took some time it took some time and, and like I said it it didn't even end after seventeen eighty three uh, there was still yet another war to settle the issue uh, eighteen twelve mm-hmm. so yeah yeah they had to wait a while for the the freedom that they wanted to be established mm-hmm. yeah and so that's what we see here too those eight hundred and thirty seven worlds including Earth are now rising up. And it's going to be a while before they they realize the freedom that they're going to be laying their... Many are going to be laying their lives down for. Mm-hmm. It's a long road ahead of them. Yes, which is usually how it is. As for my thoughts on the episode, yeah. I, 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 enjoyed, I enjoyed the episode. Uh, do I think it's one of the better ones? No, I, I kind of don't. But I, I, I enjoyed watching the episode. The message that it gives kind of depends on which one you want to home in on is the message fight for freedom. Cause that can be problematic. 
uh, as we see today? Uh, or, or do you want to subscribe to the uh, victory and defeat message? I like to look at it as you can accept, vic- you can find victory in a defeat. And I think that's the more positive message to take away from this episode. If you look at it with that point of view, I, I think it's a good message. And I like the episode because of it. But ultimately, as for an episode to sit down and watch, it, it was kind of hard to get through. Um, it's not my favorite. But but I think it's it's a good episode to see. Am I being ambiguous enough? <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. All right. I am. But I'm not. <laughs> Ryan, what did you think of the, the episode? You know, I really didn't have... Uh, there weren't any glaring problems with this episode other than uh, what we couldn't figure out about how those Nietzschean ships were operating. Right. Eh, okay. minor point. Didn't really have anything to do with anything except the whole battle scene on which the crux of the whole episode really stood on. But yeah, did, here, here's my question. Did we did we really learn anything about the state of the Commonwealth and the Jaguar Sabra alliance at the end of this this episode uh, uh other than we, they're, we, we they're have using, a chance. they're using the commonwealth I yeah mean. yeah they are we've established that but did we learn anything about their the status at the end of it basically dylan says um we were beaten but we survived we can learn from this and fight another day right <laughs> so eh, yeah we kind of really don't know what the status is with them Right. Well, you know, the Drago cats off. They're so treacherous and so ruthless. I don't think that if Dylan said, hey, you know what? We're out. I don't I don't think they're going to care. They're in whether they want to be or not. Yeah. Uh, they're they're Commonwealth. Cyber Jaguar is Commonwealth now. You know, the enemy of my enemy is still my enemy. All right. Right, that's what Dragon Seventy said. Is Drago or not Drago Kassoff, Is Saber Jaguar? Are they Commonwealth or are they just a lot in an alliance with Commonwealth? They signed the charter. You're right. They did. That is how that episode ended a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Answers my question. Okay. So yeah, uh, Dylan and the rest of the Commonwealth is now bound to protect them. And it's really unfair, I think, that someone is able to just go out there and cause problems and then after the fact turn around and look at Dylan and go, you got my back, right? (laughs) It's like that one kid in school. Right. (laughs) Oh, God. Kid, back off. Don't get me involved. (laughs) Um, But I talk about the... uh, the whole deal with the Nietzschean ships and what was going on with those. And honestly, the more I talk about it, the more it bothers me. So maybe I should stop. Yeah, we should. Okay. This would be a good place to start. Right. But that's the, that's really the only problem that I have with this. Okay. Um, that and Elsbeth's amazing turnaround from giving birth yeah. to looking like she does just two weeks or less, you know, time after having her baby. Um, but they're Nietzscheans, so I'll just, I'll buy it. Yeah. I'll, I'll just, I'll I put think, it there. I think we have to accept it. Okay. All right. I wonder if Nietzscheans even gain weight during pregnancy. <laughs> oh, man. We need to end this episode. Because okay. That's, you're just bringing up a bunch of <laughs> questions that we don't have answers for. Okay. Yet. All right. Well, I, I'm interested in this stuff. I don't okay. know. Okay. Um, we, we've got three more seasons. Three okay. and a half more seasons to, to consider those. Okay, well, I hope I hope we find some answers to some of these questions. Then, <laughs> um, you know, I I thought it was interesting. It was fun being able to go back to Earth. Uh, who doesn't love Earth? Yeah. Except everybody that's in the Commonwealth now, three thousand years from now, they it all pretty matter. much hate Earth. It doesn't matter, right? Um, I, for one, I like Earth, and I like it when my sci-fi TV shows go back and visit Earth. Yeah. Hey, it's still there. <laughs> cool. And um, it didn't burn up in a fiery hellfire destruction. <laughs> That's interesting. And, and to see Harper uh, there in that particular element where you think maybe he's in his element because that's where he's from, but then he's kind of not in his element. Yeah. So it's a weird thing going on with, with Harper. 
but but it was fun to see him go back home and see his friends. And I thought the uh, the overall story was pretty good story. Okay. Um, I was I was entertained. Like you say, probably not my favorite so far we've had this season, but we've had some really good ones. So that's kind of unfair. Yeah. To 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 say that that means that that's a bad one because it's not. I don't think it's a bad one. I think it's a pretty strong episode. Okay. And you, you gotta you gotta imagine going forward, man. The Sober Jaguars just just picked a fight with the Drago cats off. Yeah. And Dylan's right in the middle of it. The Andromeda is right in the middle of it. Um, I don't I don't think that that's that's something that could just go away quietly. No. You you wouldn't think. There's got to be repercussions. Right. So, if if the Andromeda Riders happen to remember what happened this episode, then this could make some for for some pretty good episodes coming down the line too. Okay. Okay. So, are you tipping your hat? No. As to what's coming. Okay. No. Right. I'm just saying. What you haven't tipped your hat to is, did you like it, dislike it, or are you ambiguous? No, I liked it. Okay. I liked okay. it. No, that's what I said. I, I, it's not my favorite. It's not the best one. But you liked it. But I did like it. Okay. Yeah. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, uh, that being the case, whether you liked it, like Ryan did, or disliked it, or are just ambiguous about it, like myself, uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd like to find out if what you thought about the episode. Uh, Bunker Hill, or any other episode of Andromeda. And if you wanted to do so, you can certainly email us uh, your response to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. And we're also on the social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Andromeda Pod, both of those places. We're on Podbean. That's where you can find every episode of Drive Back the Night. We're at www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. And if you listen to us on iTunes, you can certainly subscribe to us there. We'd appreciate that. And be sure and leave us a review or even just some stars. We'd certainly appreciate that. Good thanks to our big friend, Doug Anderson, who, by the way, I, I, I want to uh, give a shout out to him because a couple of weeks ago he gave us his voice for the quote and... Uh, I did a little bit of affecting on it, and he did not know I was going to do that. The particular episode was given by a fan bug, and so I affected it to make him sound like a fan bug. And uh, he listened to it, and then he approached me later and said, What was that? <laughs> Where was I at? Yeah. I didn't know you were going to do that. Yeah. But anyway, but thanks to him for uh, not only giving us his voice uh, on occasion, but also for being of support about it. Yeah. We are an Age of Geek production. They're www.ageofgeek.com. We have good conversations both on Age of Geek and also on here. It just seems like a lot of times we just go around and 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 around. Kind of sounds like an episode that's coming up. Is it? Is it the next one? You know what? I think it is. What's something that just goes around and around and around? I think in Greek mythology there was the... Ouroboros. Okay. We'll talk about that next week. Here's the plan. The people of Earth need to rise up against the Nietzscheans to get them to expose their armored units. Expose their armored units. <laughs> That's what Rami says. <laughs>